All right, so um, in case you guys don't know me, my name is Mark, and I kind of run the college ministry at Renew. And uh, for the first-timers, you might be wondering, why is there this child coming up to preach to you on a Sunday? And um, don't worry, I'm actually 27, which is apparently pretty high up in the average based on the way that um, my small group and my college students make fun of me. But uh, I assure you today that um, we will hear from the Lord, and he has placed something on my heart to share with you guys. Um, first off, we're going to start with a question, actually. So introduce yourself if you don't know your neighbor, but turn to one or two people next to you. And um, the question I pose today is, what do you want to be known for in this world? Uh, some examples are, I want to be known as a good father, I want to be known as a famous singer or a great teacher, um, whatever might be on your heart. Uh, I'll give you guys about two minutes, and I'll bring it back. Okay, everybody, uh, let's bring it back together. I hope uh, you had a good conversation with your neighbor uh, about this question. Um, we've been going through the book of Matthew as a church, and lately the theme has just been all about essentially the cost of discipleship what it looks like to be a true disciple, and what disciples will experience um, in their lives, both public and private. Uh, we're going to be looking at um, Matthew chapter 10 today. Uh, okay, actually, wait, hold on, sorry. Uh, it was Anime Expo this weekend, and I went. That's me and my brother. Uh, we just we dressed up, and that's a little fun. We're talking about family a lot today, so I thought I'd um, just have a picture of him. He's actually here with us if you want to meet him. Uh, if he talks about me, don't believe anything he says, because it's probably not true. But uh, yeah, sometimes as brothers, as parents, as children, we, we fight. And um, it looks kind of like this um, that we took yesterday as well. But um, yeah, I just thought I'd kind of introduce with that. But oh, there's no title slide. But anyway, the sermon title today is actually The Call. And you'll see why. It's a double meeting for me personally. Um, so we're looking at verses uh, 34 to 42 in Matthew chapter 10. But before we start, uh, why don't we just open up with prayer? So please bow your heads with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, just thank you for another day that we just get to worship you. Um, it's hot. I'm just going to be honest. It's really, really hot. It's painful for a lot of us. But yet, you brought us into your household. And is that kind of discomfort really going to prevent us from entering the house of the Lord this morning? Um, such a small thing. When the seasons change, when the weather changes, does that really stop us from coming to worship you? Um, because you're forever good. You're always good. Thank you for being that way, Lord. I mean, you just blessed the word this morning. May it cut deep into our hearts. May it shape us into, be, into being more, uh, just greater disciples and more like Christ um, in your kingdom. Thank you for this time. May it be blessed by you. May you be among us. And may you speak through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So uh, I'm going to start off just by reading and getting this picture off. Okay. Uh, the first few verses, um, 34 to 37. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. 
Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Just a refresher, some of the passages that we covered before as a church, um, it talks about being sent out as sheep among wolves. And what Jesus is saying here is that some of the fiercest wolves that you'll ever face as disciples of Christ will actually come from those close to you, sometimes even your own family. And before, it was about what does ministry look like in the public life? When you go house to house, people are going to treat you poorly. People will scorn you and offend you based on your faith. But here he moves into the idea of your private life, that we can't just take off that hat as Christians once we move out of the public eye, but even our own families, we're called to place Christ first and to have that fully obedient attitude towards the Lord. And when I read these passages, there's a lot of them in Scripture, um, but this is one of those really radical ones that can turn off a lot of people. Um, When I read this, I actually wonder to myself, is that a worthy sacrifice to follow Jesus? Uh, He's calling us to sometimes reject and abandon our family, Um, and that's really difficult, both today and back then. So we have this reflex of just being defensive and questioning the teaching of, you know, is that really what Jesus meant? Is is he really that extreme? And I wonder what his disciples thought, too, as they were listening to him. Were they ready to leave their parents? Were they ready to sacrifice a relationship with a spouse or somebody else close to them? Were they questioning whether Jesus was still worth it? Something else that also comes to mind is, I thought Jesus was supposed to be the Prince of Peace. And I have a couple of um, verses. I'm not going to read them out, but they talk about Jesus being a peacemaker. And the Prince of Peace title comes from the last one in Isaiah, uh, chapter 9. And something that has to be cleared up is, Jesus did come to bring peace eventually. And that's the key difference. The ultimate goal of the gospel and his existence is to bring peace, to usher in the kingdom of God. And characteristics of the kingdom of God is peace, is complete defeat of the enemies of the Lord, but also the eradication of sin. But what are you saying? What are you saying here is um, he's bringing a sword and not peace. So that's very clear. Is that contradictory? He argues, he states that the immediate effect of his message is actually not peace. Um, The journey towards ultimate peace will not be peaceful. It will actually be very, very difficult. And that's exactly what he's teaching his disciples in this discourse. If you think about what a sword does, a sword cleaves, it divides things. So it's a very strong image that we have in our heads. And what he has here is the sharpest of swords. He's asking us to sometimes even wage war against your own family and even yourself. But why does this happen? Why is this, you know, shouldn't it be more, you know, wholesome and good? The reason why is because his message is so radical that it doesn't fit into our reality very well at all. Um, We do live in a broken world. We do see that brokenness also just every day. And Jesus' message opposes that so strongly that there's going to be tension between belief systems. So for a lot of us, when it comes to this tension between what we believe, Christ is actually sometimes the divider. I know we think of church 
um, and fellowship as unity and Jesus being in the middle, which is absolutely true. But here he tells us there are moments where Jesus actually um, divides people. In this passage, he actually refers to Micah 7, 6, which is a passage in the Old Testament. And it's not that. There we go. Um, And just a little bit of context. King Ahaz is ruling at this time. And basically, fathers were turning against um, their sons, sons turning against their fathers. And that was evident of sin, um, that the Israelites were struggling to maintain peace with one another. And the reason why he references this It's because the same exact thing was happening during his ministry. Uh, Parents were turning against their children, children children turning against their parents, and vice versa. Um, And it hasn't changed, despite being hundreds of years later. So we see that there can be a strong competition between Christ and family. And there's always been something special about family, about being blood relatives. Whether you get along with your parents or your siblings or not, there's something about being tied together by blood. In fact, Jesus, his own family actually um, opposed him as well. So this was not a foreign concept to Christ. Um, When he went back to Nazareth, this is in chapter 13, we'll get there eventually, but uh, his, par- or his, uh, his family and friends actually didn't really know um, who he was. They actually opposed his message. Um, and I, w- I think about how that's kind of true of a lot of our familial ties, that when we carry this through all our relationships, when in the moments where we feel that sword, uh, we feel that tension between those that know Christ and those that don't, sometimes even within our own household. A big reason why I, I wanted to name this sermon The Call is because a certain phone call had a very significant impact on my own life. And it was the one where I was in New York and I was still pursuing my doctorate degree to enter this lucrative healthcare career. Um, and I ultimately felt convicted to call my parents and tell them that I had withdrew from the program without telling them beforehand for the sake of pursuing ministry. And this is one of those calls where you prepare yourself for the fallout, because you know it's going to be apocalyptic. I was sitting there for a few hours at least, doing prayer, reading through the Bible, and seeing if what I was doing was even the Lord's will for me. But ultimately, I decided that I just had to do this because the conviction was just too strong. The threat of disownment was real. Uh, Fortunately, that's not really what happened. But what I did feel was this sword. I didn't feel peace between me and my family, my parents. I felt the sword, and it cut really, really deep because I was called to choose between my love for Christ and my love for my family. And because those were opposite forces, I had to choose one. When I think about that moment, that phone call, I'm reminded of this passage. And it gave me comfort because I realized that this passage spoke into the Christian walk in a way that chose him or her, that these kind of things are supposed to happen. That what I was experiencing was not out of the ordinary, but that it was actually 
affirmation that my faith was real um, and that these consequences were something that Jesus had already spoken about. This is the sword that Jesus talks about in this passage. The amazing thing that is so difficult as well is that he calls us to an intimacy that's even closer to closer than we are to our blood relatives. Um, it's one that actually takes priority over our family, our very people that we love so dearly. And that just points towards how important it is to be obedient to Christ to that extent. I want you guys to think about, do all your other relationships pale in comparison to your relationship with God? Because the reason why these things happen is because the disparity is just so great. And we know that when you have a new number one slot in your life, sometimes other things in your life can become jealous. A short analogy I thought of is, you know, when you get into a relationship or like a girlfriend or a boyfriend scenario, have you ever been that best friend of that person that questions whether it's good for them because they just disappear, because they just spend so much time with their significant other that you just wonder, I don't even know you anymore, you've changed, I don't even see you, are we still friends? So that being said, uh, consider your love for your family. Um, And this is broader than just family. This is worldly things as well. Do you love Christ more than those things? And are you willing to sacrifice him if he calls you to do that? Uh, The next two verses are uh, 38 to... Oops. Oh, here we go. Uh, 38 and 39. And it reads, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I don't think it's a coincidence that he talks about the cross right after he talks about how you may have to hate your parents and your family. Because those two things, um, the cross being self-sufficiency and family being your relationships, are some of the hardest things that we may be called to give up. So that's why I believe they're juxtaposed with one another. So a Christian loves Jesus more than his own family, but also his or her own life. You know, when I think about and reflect on my selfishness, we all have it in us. We all have brokenness. We all have our tendency to self-sustain. I realize that I actually love myself a little too much. Um, And maybe it's vanity. But first off, fun fact, I take 30-minute showers. And um, rumor has it that that was the reason for the California drought a couple years ago. But also, when I wake up in the morning, my hair doesn't look like this. Um, it actually involves this really detailed routine of tilting my head to the left and running my fingers through maybe hundreds of times. And it's not comfortable. But I do believe those things, those behaviors, come out of a place of vanity, of, hmm, maybe I could be more productive with this time. But the Christian is not just willing to endure hardship. They're also willing to walk on a road towards death. If you put yourself in the shoes of the disciples, when they hear cross, the Romans passed this method of execution down already, so they know how gruesome and how torturous it is. They must have been shocked. And this is the first time cross has been mentioned. 
they must have been shocked that maybe they actually have to give their own life to be a disciple. A life of complete devotion to Christ, but also with divided relationships, is greater than those that have unified relationships, but no devotion to Christ. When we become a disciple, everything should change because you're now fellowshipping with your creator and you realize how great he is compared to everything else. So this actually makes sense that when you have him as number one, your love for other things will diminish. And when those things get jealous, it'll create tension. Uh, Other people might not love you anymore. They might not care for you anymore. To live for the gospel is separation from the world. And once again, separation requires a sword. And that's exactly what Jesus brought. I'm going to move on into the last couple of verses here. Verses 40 to 42. He says, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. There's a lot of things you can draw from this last bit. But what really spoke out in terms of this theme of sometimes it costs us our relationships is that the mission that Christians are sent on always belongs to Christ. It's never your own. But the beauty of that is that by carrying his mission of being sent out with this reward of the gospel is that he becomes part of us, that the intimacy that we receive with Christ is far greater than the intimacy we receive with those of even our blood relatives. You might be wondering how the story ended with the phone call or how I handled that, reg- or that, uh, that distance that I created between me and my parents. And I admit it was really, really crippling. Um, I felt helpless and ruined for a good chunk of time. But the only reason why I know and I think that I got out of that is because Jesus prepares the believer for this kind of rejection. He prepares us for this kind of rejection. We are not crippled when the sword strikes. Some may ask also, Okay, so is this passage telling us to hate our family? My answer is no, obviously, because he calls us to love our enemies as well. He calls us to love our neighbors. And if your family members or your friends find themselves in that category, you're not to abandon them. You're to obey that same command of, even if they're your enemies, to love on them with the love that Christ has given us. And I can confidently say that because I placed Jesus first, uh, my relationship with my parents has been improving significantly ever since. And that it's probably the best it's ever been because there's trust, there's honesty, there's vulnerability, even though they may not, not be Christian themselves. 
So I've been able to experience the sword, but yet I've been also I've been able to experience the redeeming qualities of putting God first, because He does look at these things. He does care about what you want to see happen and restoration among relationships. The last verse I want to leave you guys with is in Romans. Paul writes that, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And going back to this idea of the Messiah didn't come to bring peace to the world, but peace between mankind and God. His greater plan is not this world peace. In his eyes, the superior plan is reconciliation between the believer and the Lord. And the only way that this could have happened is through the death and resurrection of Christ. That's what the gospel is. That's why it's the good news, because there's a bridge now in which we can access the fullness of God where we could not have done that before. I hope that none of you guys ever have to or had to make such a hard choice within your own family as I did. But the reality is is that many of you have, and many of you continue to wrestle with that, as I do. It was definitely one of the most difficult decisions I've ever had to make in my life. But the reason why it was worth it is because this is what the upward call of God in Christ Jesus looks like. Paul also writes in Philippians 3.14 that he presses on towards this goal of putting Christ first, that even Paul the Apostle struggled with this sacrifice of family, of friends. We all will. But when I read that passage, it revealed to me a key aspect of my faith, and that's this, that true faith is one that endures in Christ through every circumstance, both those that are unifying, the things that make you feel whole and intact, but also those uh, during those circumstances that serve to separate, things that make us feel more divided or broken. The question I ask you guys is, what do you want to be known for in this world? And I know it sounds cliche, and I know it sounds repetitive, but for me, I want to be known as someone who always puts Jesus first, above all things. And don't get me wrong, I'm not there yet. I'm far, far away. But that's the goal that I strive towards. I want to be the person who runs away with the spouse or the girlfriend and never looks back, no matter how jealous they get or how difficult it is to focus. If you're going to run away with somebody, I would recommend Jesus personally. (laughs) But my prayer for our church and all believers is that this description is true of us, uh, that we have a faith that can persist through hardship and also through victory, but also ones that refresh us in moments where we experience the sword that Jesus brought, where our love for Christ hinders people we love, um, people he calls us to love, and that we would be able to see with open eyes and open hearts that Christ is still a worthy goal, that discipleship is still 100% worth it, um, 
and that he's also including us in his plan, that he notices these things, and that he aims to restore them in his will. I'm just going to close with this last statement that even though this passage related a lot to my story, it's not just a calling for me to have this kind of faith, uh, to persist through the hard times even when you don't want to or you're tired. Um, This is not only my call, but a call for every Christian um, to have this kind of faith, to have ownership of this kind of faith, to have Christ at the center. And you may be surprised at what happens when you do that because this is the call of every Christian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for communing with us this morning. Um, This passage is tough. It's something that doesn't sit well with a lot of us, um, especially for those that really love their family. But we know the reason why you taught this is because you're that important. You're that great of a God that even if we have to give up these things, you're still worth it. And that we found the best thing this life can offer, and that's you. Lord, it gets hard, and and will you just bless us with strength to make it through these moments where discipleship gets hard? Will you just empower us not to give up? May you give us a faith that endures and one that is full of perseverance. Because we want to be known as men and women that pointed towards you more than anything. May this be true of us. May you walk with every brother and sister here. We thank you for your word. We thank you that this is normal in the Christian walk, this hardship. It's, it's not weird or different or unexpected, but you actually saw this coming. And it's very real. But Lord, thank you for redeeming these things. Thank you for being... Sovereign is such a great God to us. May you bless the rest of the service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.